0: Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. I'm Emma Wenner, Religion News Editor at Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with Gwen Carr, whose book, This Stops Today, Eric Garner's Mother Seeks Justice After Losing Her Son, is being published by Roman and Littlefield, the sponsor of today's podcast. Hello, Gwen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You write in the book that your activism makes you feel closer to your son Eric. How does it feel now to be writing about him and now that it's 4 years since his death?
1: Oh, well, it gives me um a great feeling to express, you know, what I'm feeling um after the 4 years and during the 4 years and it does make me feel closer Uh, to my son, Eric, because this way I'm expressing to him, although he's not here, you know, my feelings and what I am doing to try to counteract what has happened to him.
0: And I'm sure for most people who who lose someone in their family, they'd rather not think about it, especially on a day-to-day basis. Where do you find the strength to to keep looking and, and to keep talking about it and to keep working? Um, well,
1: you know, like you're saying is, sometimes you don't want to keep reliving the incident over and over again. And it is hard, but some things you just have to do, you have to do these things to bring awareness, you have to do these things to keep um, the memory alive. um, Because otherwise, it would just be swept under the rug. Um, It would be just yesterday's news.
0: Your perspective is one of a bereaved mother and a person who is quiet, who likes to stay at home in the beginning of all this. And you write, I didn't know if I could make a real difference, but I did know that I could try. Um, what What was, in your opinion, the first thing you started doing in order to become more active?
1: Well, the first step I took, I think, was when I started going to the National Action Network, um, not long after my son's death. In fact, in the very beginning, because um, Reverend Al Sharpton had gotten in touch with me and asked the family to come and visit the uh, House of Justice. And when I did go there and I see you know, actually what was going on at the House of Justice, it gave me a, a, a sense of inspiration of these things can be done. All you have to do is get up and talk about them or be about them. Uh, you just can't sit down and just sit in a corner and cry your eyes out and hoping yeah. that something would get done.
0: And so in the book, there, there are a couple of Guidelines for how someone can get started, but what is one way you think that even a really shy reader could get started in trying to make a difference?
1: Well, the first way, well, what, what was first for me was that I prayed a lot, and mm-hmm. because I was like a very low-keyed individual, never yeah. had gotten out, did any public speaking, and then as I watched other people. And, you know, I didn't do this alone. There were other people um, that I talked to who I interacted with and they gave me the strength. So I said, well, if they can do it, I'm going to get out here and I'm going to try and do it. You know, it wasn't like I knew what was going to happen or how I was going to actually get this done, but I was willing to get out there because I just didn't want this thing to die and go away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so who or what are the mothers of the movement and why do you think that they resonated so much with people? I mean, people really, identified with the mothers mothers of the movement it seems like and and i wondered why do you think that is well
1: the mothers of the movement well it actually started when um we were trying to uh help hillary uh uh, uh hillary clinton get elected and it was Uh, about seven of us who was called the Mothers of the Movement. But actually, there are thousands of Mothers of the Movement. And we are the face. We were out there on the ground. We were out there doing the work, you know, in the public's eyes. But there were others in other states that were doing the work that we were doing, even though some of them didn't have... um, high-profile cases. Some of them, um, the the world don't even know who they are, but they are out there, and we all get together as moms, and we uh, instruct each other. We love on each other. We laugh together. We cry together, and we try to make this world a better place.
0: And then you write in the book, Your Own Take on Motherhood, and it's very moving. Um, I and you write that because everyone understands the role of a mother. That maybe they see a little bit of themselves in you or, or in and the the mothers of the movement. And I think that that's very true.
1: Um. Yes, I think so because every mother who beared a child, who is a loving mother, they know if anything ever happened to that child that they just don't know what they would do at that moment. And we didn't know what we were going to do, but we just had to figure it out. We had to learn from others. We had to just get up out of that bed. Like myself, I had to get up out of that bed and just say, Hey, I'm going to take this sorrow and turn it into a strategy and turn my morning into a movement, and that's what I've been doing ever since.
0: Um, Can you talk more about um, how police training can become more effective, especially when it comes to how they can build more trust in communities?
1: Um, Yes. Well, first of all, I think the police training should come from the top when they're actually hiring the police to make sure that they're hiring um, comparable police officers, because once a police is in, you know, is um, employed and they're out in the field, we need to know that they are there to do their job, to serve and to protect, because if, a police officer is out to do that. We wouldn't have so much tragedy, I don't think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because most of the police officers, they are out there to do what they are, what is expected of them. But mm-hmm. then you have some police officers that has their own agenda. Yeah. And they want to police the way they want to police. And that's not good. We don't need those type of police officers out there on the street. And we need more police officers um, to know who they are policing. We need more police officers to interact with the community and the community to interact with the police officers. Know who you're policing. Know the parents of the children. Walk the beats, don't stay in your cars, because this way you don't have to profile, you don't have to assume who a person is, but it's just so much out there that we have to work on with the police officers and the communities to bring this together.
0: I see. Yeah, maybe to be familiar with exactly who they're protecting and serving.
1: Yes.
0: Um that's that's a that's a good piece of wisdom, I think. Um, so, what advice do you give to other social rights activists about how to cope with the stress and the frustrations that come with fighting for equality and justice? it can It can wear on you. you you explore it a little bit in the book. What do you tell others?
1: Well, there's different ways that you deal with stress and anxiety. Uh, because this journey is not an easy one and it's not a popular one. It's just that we all come into different situations, different obstacles, and we have to deal with them as they come. And we don't know what we're going to be hit with next or what the negativity is going to be. Uh, But I just think that, We have to keep our heads um, and we just have to um, trust that we can try to make a a better world out here if we come together. That's the main thing. We have to come together. We have to bring awareness. We have to bring transparency and make everyone see what's going on, that this is not just a story that we're telling it's the truth. It's out there. Just like when my son was killed, the the video, it showed everything from point A to point B, what is actually going on out there. And this goes on yeah. every day, all day long.
0: Um, it's both incredible and disturbing that there's video of it. I mean, that must have been very difficult for you as a mother to know that so many people are watching this and and my, my next question for you is, is what is the most important thing you want readers to know about Eric? I mean, beyond that video, that's what a lot of people
1: have learned yes. of
0: him. Yes, a lot of
1: people focus on that video and they just see um, Eric as a person being murdered by the NYPD. But there was a life of Eric before he was murdered. Uh, Eric had uh, a very... Uh, I wouldn't say productive, but I would say he had a very graceful life, you know, coming up. He uh, came up in uh, a middle-income family. Uh, He had brothers and sisters that loved him. He had a mother that adored him. And he yeah. adored his family. He was a great lover of Christmas. He was a great lover of the Giants, the New York Giants, which he would yeah. not miss a game, although they were losers all the time. But we used to <laughs> tease children. him about that. <laughs> but we, but he had so, we had um, such a good time. The family just used to love for him to come around because he was a big jokester always kept us laughing, Um, one who could think on his feet. And we miss all of that. And I've even had people who came up to me after his death to tell me different things that they shared with me about my son. Even a homeless man told me that Eric fed him every day. He said every time Eric bought a sandwich, he would buy one for him. And I says, wow. And he says, wow. He says, I just can't believe he's gone. Ministers have come up to me and said Eric would stop and talk to them. And when this one particular minister says every time Eric, Eric would stop and talk with him. Before the conversation, before he would walk away after the conversation, he said he would never say goodbye. He would always say, share the love, Reverend, share the love.
0: And share he said that resonates.
1: Mm-hmm. That's that's what wow. he told me. Well, mm-hmm.
0: oh, I love that. I mean, and, and I see T-shirts that say, I can't breathe, which is, oh, it, it's just so let yes, to see, but yes. I, I wish that maybe... Maybe we could make T-shirts that say "Share the Love" too. That's that's great. Yeah, I love that.
1: Yes, but you know, just like the, the T-shirts, those were his last words. Uh, I can't breathe. And as my my book, uh, the name of my book is "This Stops Today." Those were yeah. some of his last words, also. Oh. And, okay. Mm-hmm, yes. This stops today. Um. If you look at the video. Those are some of the words that he said um, before I... he was murdered.
0: Oh, I'm glad you pointed that out. I didn't realize that's
1: Yes. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, people would ask me why, do, why did I name my book This Stops Today? And I said one of the reasons was because those were some of his, my son's last words. And another reason why I named it This Stops Today is... Not because the killing and the murdering has stopped, but as mothers and mothers of the movement, we are saying that we're not sitting down and taking this anymore. We're going to get out there. We're going to be on the ground. We are going to go to lawmakers. We are going to protest and say, we want change. We are demanding change. We're not just going to sit back and ask for change, but demand it.
0: Wow. (sighs) Well, what an important message, and I think your book beautifully carries it. And congratulations, and um, October 1st can't come soon enough.
1: Yes, Um, yes.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Gwen, and also thank you to the audience for listening, and please join us for the next LipCast.